lovely people. Uh, it's been a while. Sorry that it's uh, it's been so long. Um, th- kudos to those of you who have been uh, reminding me. I'm actually going to talk about you in just a second. Uh, the first thing that you should notice is that I have abandoned all pretense of not being pretentious and have embraced peak uh, pretension uh, and have decided to go all in with bow ties. And I'm really actually happy about this for at least the following reasons. Um, all bow ties, so bow ties are cheaper and they still look nice. Um, which is which is quite nice. I have yet to get my bow tie in food, um, which is really exciting. Uh, third, all bow ties are lo- extra long bow ties, which was a real pain for me. I had lots of ties that I really liked that I couldn't wear because they were too short, and I'm an enormous person. Um, so I'm really enjoying the bow tie fashion. Those of you who are only listening on um, podcast, I'm sorry that you don't get to see my uh, one of my first well-tied bow ties. Um, I'm still terrible at tying them, so please don't point out how asymmetrical they are. I don't think my, my ego can take it. Um, and of course, there's the pretension, as I mentioned a minute ago. I've... Uh, <laughs> feature not bug you know like it's actually really fun i don't know now that i teach in college i'm not a professor professor has like very deep and important meaning and i don't actually have any of those things i just really like you know teaching and uh, i teach college kids and for some reason it feels appropriate to wear a bow tie and so that's what i've been doing and it feels really fun and really enjoyable so that's uh, update number one update number two uh, is my wife is a genius and which we'll I'll talk about in a minute as well and uh, moved me down a little bit for uh, this room's sake so it's a it's a new perspective on our house over here but i i quite like it i think it looks nice um couple of, uh, so let me actually mention really quick, uh, every, about every week, a friend of mine will just reach out and say, Hey, I miss your podcast or Hey, um, I really appreciate your thoughts. And, and, you know, I, I don't know what's keeping you. Uh, the answer is kids and a doctoral program and a, and a job and, and a lot of other stuff. But, um, it actually means a lot to me when people reach out and say, Hey, we want to hear more from you. I don't know why people want to. Um, I <laughs> was actually listening to this really cool, um, interview with Abraham Maslow talking about self-actualization and creativity and stuff. And it occurred to me how lucky I am. Like I have people, I yell into the void and for some people, for some reason people listen. Um, and that's just a really cool feeling. Um, so I'm trying my best to, um, to focus on the most important things. So family and, uh, work and my doctoral program and everything else. I am really having a fun time. Um, and yet it's just been busy enough that I haven't had the chance ever uh, if I can be honest, like I just don't have the opportunity to co- to, to, to do lots of podcasting because I'm being with kids or other stuff. Um, so I will try and do it a little bit more often because it's actually really, really fun. Um, but no promises. Um, and, uh, and if I don't understand that I still love and actually am really heartened when people, um, reach out and say like, hey, we, we, we miss you. We, we would love to hear more from you. So thank you for all of those who have, who have said that. Um, to be clear, I have three listeners and, and you know, two of them have, have said that. So I appreciate all, all three of you. Um, so I've started doing something. I, I, part of the, the reason I think that I, I have been a little bit um, of a slacker in uh, recording new episodes, uh, aside from just the time commitment, as I started a new little hobby with my Radical Civility Twitter, and that is to rant about being nice to each other on Twitter. <laughs> it doesn't really, I don't really make any difference ever, um, but it makes me feel really good to, you know, I, I, I feel like there's that Simpsons, let me see if I can find it real quick. There's that Simpsons, man yells at cloud. Um, yep, yeah, there it is. I feel like I am 100% that guy. 
like me just ye- like yelling in at, at Twitter being like, be nice to people. And that's kind of my, my go-to. Um, but I'm enjoying it. And uh, I've started looking for, I, I asked some friends of mine, I was like, hey, what is the, um, I, I need like a civility rating, like, you know, five stars or one star. And for some reason, they all came up with hippos. So apparently five hippos means you're doing a really good job. And one hippo means you're not being very civil. I don't, I don't make the rules. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, but anyway, the, the short version is uh, the Twitter is now up and running. I, I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear this. I have more examples of incivility rather than civility. So if you can find really, really great sources and people that people should listen to, um, I would love to um, shout them out. And so I try and do that occasionally. Um, unfortunately, like the reality is that most of my people um, think like I do and look like I do. And that's not good for diversity of thought. But I, I have a few. Um, but they're all pretty limited. And so I, I would love thoughts if you want to send me like, hey, here's a really civil person. Here's a person who engages in debate really thoughtfully. Or even they're not really good at debating, but like they're earnest, right? They engage in good faith and they are thoughtful about their own views. Anything like that would be awesome. Um, so send them my way. Um, and if you find really bad examples, uh, it's uh, really good fodder for me to tackle of like, Hey, here's an example of what not to do. My wife and I were actually talking about uh, a great uh, meme that we saw the other day. It was it was on the topic of economics, and uh, it was I I won't make you nauseated, but um, she she's realized that if she talks to me in economics, it's it's very flirtatious, and it it actually <laughs> it's pretty adorable. Um, and uh, we talked about I'm trying to remember what the meme said. It was something along the lines of um, how to help the poorest in society, and why can't why can't everyone why can't, we have enough money? Why can't we just give everyone what they need? Um, and she just kind of walked through it and 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 poked holes in it and and thought about it thoughtfully. I think now is a good time to start and start to, to keep doing that. So if you see a meme or if you see a, a um, an article or something that's lacking context or isn't thoughtful enough or is very one-sided or anything like that, send that my way too. And uh, that's good fodder for these these episodes, but it's also really fun, especially if it's like, hey, this was actually pretty good. I was making a good point, but here's some nuance that can make it that much better. Because what I don't want to do is dunk on people. What I don't want to do is um, slam dunk on um, whatever, you know, whatever the, the rage post of the day is. Um, I would rather take something that is intended to be uh, in good faith and and take it to the next level. So um, Radical Civility is now like on Twitter. And I, I my goal is to tweet two or three things a day. And I rarely am able to get even that far. So it's not very exciting. But um, if you do Twitter, then that would be fun. Um, and I also need a more diverse view of uh, all the people that are being uncivil to each other. So if you if you have any of those, you can you can tag me in them and and we can go from there. Um, I did want to do a quick shout out. Um, so I don't know if people have heard of this, um, but Adam Kinzinger is a uh, Republican in Congress, and he is um, launching. He launched a video basically calling for for a restart of the Republican Party. Oh, I, I, I guess you heard that. Let me see. I just want to make sure that you are hearing my. Um, I think you are, but let me just make sure. I really hope you are. See, now I can't remember. (laughs) 
I think that you should be able to hear um, what I am presenting over here. And so if not, I, actually, why don't I just not play the whole thing? Adam Kinzinger is this guy. You can see him right here. And he's talking about how um, after the, well, let me just start it over real quick. This is no time for silence. Not after the last month, not after the past few years. Someone needs to tell the truth. All right, I'm going to cut him off because I don't want to leave it for, you know, a six minute video while you can't, if you can't hear, because I can't remember now whether I've got all my settings set up so that you can hear him or not. Adam Kinzinger is in co Congress, and I wanted to shout him out for the following reason. Um, he's taking a stand against his tribe. Now, that does not by itself mean that he is authentic. It does not mean that he is taking the right stand, right? Um, what it does mean is that he's taking a risk. I think that he is authentic, but that's as that's as much mind reading as calling somebody inauthentic because I don't like what they are doing, right? And so I, I want to recognize that that is part of the gamble with this stuff. Adam Kinzinger is saying that we need to call for a new Republican Party and that the Republican Party has lost its way and that the 6th of January was evidence of that. Um, I agree with him. So obviously it's easy for me to like what he is saying. I, I want a better Republican Party that can actually um, stand for some more principles. And I, I think he is doing a very brave thing. Um, recent uh, news reports say that his family has attacked him or distanced themselves from him or kind of shunned him a little bit. And that's really hard. Um, politics is really divisive and it stinks. Um, and so I, I, I respect him for all of those reasons. I also wanna be clear that I don't know him personally. Right? He's a politician, and this might just be one more gimmick. I'm not quite that cynical. I tend to believe that people are easier to read than that. Um, and I think that he is taking a risk for good reason, because he believes this is the right thing to do. Um, and I'm going to take that view of it until I'm presented with other evidence. And so I wanted to shout him out. Those of you, I know several of you think like I do. If you, if you haven't, I would encourage you to check out his entire video, um, because I think that there's some really important stuff going on in, in what he said. So that is my, uh, a little bit of a long introduction here. Um, and now I think it's actually time for the, for the meat of our, uh, of our little, uh, episode here, which is called my wife is a genius, or I can't remember what I was going to call it. Was it my wife comma the genius? She's going to hate me when she hears about this. She doesn't watch my podcast because she's smart enough to know not to do that. But, uh, either way, she's still going to hate me, but whatever. Here we go. My wife, the genius. So a few, uh, about a decade ago, um, I was I grew up in Utah. I lived there most of my life, and uh, Utah is very very dry. And so I moved away from Utah, and uh, I, I was in Houston, Texas. I started getting these weird little patches around my my ankles. Um, you know, just skin discoloration, very light. Um, every once in a while, they get a little itchy, and I was worried that I had leprosy or something. So I, I called somebody, and they were like, "Yeah, it just sounds like you know fungus. You just need to put some cream on it." And I was like, "Fungus? That's I, am I dying? It, this is kind of gross. I'm sorry. I, sh I should have warned you that I'm going to talk to you about my foot fungus. Um, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to overshare, but there is a, actually a lesson in this." Um, so I put some cream on and, you know, I, I realized very quickly that it takes some work to get rid of fungus. You have to really apply it carefully. You have to do it every night and, you know, sometimes more than, than, than once a day, but eventually it goes away. And, you know, it's, it's not a huge deal anyway, but you just have to, have to get on it. Um, I move up here to, to Rexburg, Idaho, and, uh, I see a patch again and I'm going, oh no, not this again. Um, and so I start putting the fungus cream on and I get some more from the store and I get, you know, three different brands to see which one has the highest strength. And I'm applying it three times a day, being very careful and none of it's working. Um, and so I, I tell this to my wife and she says, well, you know, y y what you could try 
is you could put on that cream first, but then put on some regular lotion afterwards because it might just be dry skin. And I laughed at her and I was like, no, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't I, know. I like, come on, honey. I'm, I'm smarter than... Okay, so you see where this is going. Uh, yeah, it was totally dry skin. Uh, I started putting lo regular lotion on and it went away right away, which I should have thought through because I'm in Rexburg, Idaho, which is a desert and it's really cold and really dry and that's not exactly a place where fungus thrives. Um, and instead, that's exactly what it was. It was uh, So I fixed it in about two days just by putting on uh, lotion consistently and all of a sudden, uh, lo and behold, miracle of miracles, um, I was cured of my, of my leprosy again. And... Uh, so first of all, the the first point of this is that my wife is a genius. But the second one is um, it, it it makes me chuckle because I remember five years ago now, uh, Donald Trump was running for office. Politics was getting worse and worse and more divisive. And I, I felt like I needed to do what was in my power. Um, I started a group at the time, a Facebook group dedicated to discussing politely. It blew up. <laughs> We were not able to continue to discuss politely. Uh, it was just too heated. Um, and uh, interestingly, um, the the topics that were hardest were were um, um, issues of race and issues of identity and issues of equal treatment of human beings and and a lot of other stuff that um, was really. I mean, it was the first time in my lifetime that those conversations were happening in the way that they were. Um, or maybe I maybe it was the first time that I, I saw them, but. I think there was something different about 2014, 15, 16. Um, it was all just that much more, I don't, divisive is the wrong word because some of the times it was just that things were coming to light and people were frustrated by them. Um, anyway, the long story short, there was a lot of divisiveness. There, was a, there were a lot of controversial topics and a lot of things that everybody knew we needed to do better. Um, and I wanted to see if there was a way to forge something you know, to, to do what I could, right? And so I started that Facebook group. It was fun. It blew up. It did not work. I shouldn't say that. It was a delightful experience. Um, and I learned a lot from it. And I was sad when it died. But I feel like it was probably the right thing because it was it's just really hard, right? It's just really, really hard to talk about really, really deep personal stuff. So that's a, around the time when I started thinking about either a website or a blog or, or maybe a podcast. And then I finally started doing it a couple of years later. Um, and the whole idea behind this is not that I think I'm going to get 10 million viewers, right? It never has been. My, my goal was really simple, and that is to do what is in my power so that I could look back and say, you know, I didn't have much capacity, but the capacity that I had, I did everything that I could. Um, because in my, you know, little brain, the, the way that the world gets better is not by individuals doing some big thing, but lots of individuals doing all that they can. I think that that's a much more powerful recipe. Um, and at the time, I felt that things were, civility was breaking down, that we were being less kind. We were not listening to each other. We were not able to, dis we were more focused on disagreeing more fiercely instead of disagreeing better. Um, I love the quote by um, Arthur Brooks. He says, we need to, we, we need to focus on disagreeing, not disagree. We need to focus not on disagreeing less, but on disagreeing better. And I heard that around that time. And I thought that that's exactly the problem. Like, I actually don't have a problem discussing race or even really difficult topics around race. 
Um, I have a problem with the fact that no one is willing to stop and say, we need ground rules so that this can be successful, so that we can all learn from and understand one another. And so that, because that's the one thing that I didn't feel like was happening. No one was leaving saying, I've learned something today. I'm a better person. I shouldn't say no one. There were a lot of people who were, but there were just as many, if not more, who were leaving really angry and feeling like they weren't being heard on, on all sides of the issue. Um, we were not disagreeing well. Um, and so... I'm, my episode today is, is, is jokingly called that my wife, that my, my wife, the genius, because I feel like I hear a lot of my friends talk about like societal reform and, you know, ending the electoral college and all these really complicated, advanced, you know, um, fungus creams, uh, to put it that way. When in fact, I think it's probably as simple as just basic old civility. Civility is not uh, not disagreeing. Civility is how to disagree and how to do it well. It's how to disagree in a way that is meaningful, that hears all sides, that, that is thoughtful and still maintains, and by the way, this is really important, um, basic dignity and respect for people. Like it doesn't mean that you argue less directly, right? It means you argue better. Um, and I think that's something that's really been lost. And so today, what I wanted to do is just kind of outline three things. Uh, this, 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 this episode is basically just a long, I told you so. Like, hey, everybody, just wanted you to know five years ago, I saw this coming and now I'm right. So let me confirm my priors to you out loud. I'm sure there's no motivated reasoning in here at all. Um, but I do think that you'll see that I have a point. I hope you will. Um, I don't think that it's all just made up. Um, and so I, I want to start with three kind of tenets of what I would call basic civility. Um, again, differentiating between basic civility and radical civility. Like this is just the basic stuff. This isn't hard. This isn't even radical stuff. This is just being nice to people, listening more than you speak. And I'm not perfectly good at any of it either, right? But it sure seems like I'm at least good at yelling at Twitter when they do it badly, right? And so I'm trying to do everything I can do. So um, three points here. Uh, number one, I think civility is fundamentally tied to personal responsibility. Um, with the Senate hearing in the news, um, just in case people are listening to this later, um, Donald Trump was acquitted just a couple of days ago um, in his second impeachment. And some people that I really respect and who carry a lot of weight with me um, made a really profound argument. And to be clear, I, I, this is not news, but I, I really despise the, the former president. Um, I think Donald Trump is a bad person. He was a bad president. And I, 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 am, I am willing to admit my bias against him. That's entirely fair. I don't think that means I can't be objective sometimes, but I, I will be the first one to admit that. And so I wanted to see him um, uh, convicted by the Senate. I still feel, feel that way. I have not changed my mind. But they did give me a really interesting argument that I feel like deserves a little bit of attention. And that is, um, this is the wrong jurisdiction. Uh, the Senate is inherently a political process. Uh, convicting somebody after they've left office is just really strange and not a good can of worms to open. Um, th there were a number of arguments along those lines that actually did stick in my brain. Um, and what I settled on was this. I can buy the argument that, um, that this is the wrong forum, that this is the wrong jurisdiction, that this is not the right place for him to be held accountable. What I can't buy is that there is no place for him to be held accountable. So when I was an assistant principal, I found that there were teachers who felt like I was unfair in my evaluations. I tried very hard to be fair. Sometimes I way overthought things and should have just been a lot simpler about things. Um, 
And I, I realized that there was a really easy test to figure out whether they were actually arguing in good faith or if they just wanted good points, right? If they just wanted a good score or not. And, and that was by asking them um, which of the parts, there, there were you know five different things that we would do, roughly five or six, um, that contributed to their overall score. So one was observations, one was uh, a rating of how much they contributed to the school, one was test scores, depending on what grade level they were in. And uh, you know there were four or five different things. And one of the things that I realized very quickly is some people just thought everything was unfair. And so I would say, is there a part of the, the uh, evaluation system that you like? And if they said, no, it's all junk, none of it's fair, I'm just, you know, it, it's all out to get me. Um, if they took the view that accountability itself was bad, there's rarely anything I could do to help them, right? Um, if on the other hand, they said, you know, I just feel like your evaluation, this one evaluation was unfair because, then typically I could find a way to work with them and to figure out, okay, how can we both make this fair and also keep you accountable? How can we do, how can we balance those two needs? Because I, th I think both of, both of those are important. Um, and a lot of times I think we did. Um, and I was, I was really happy with that outcome. Not every time. I don't think everybody always left happy with my evaluations, but I tried really, really hard to be fair-minded. Um, I think that the same is true generally um, of, of our politicians right now. And actually, let me, let me give an example. This, this used to be a very Republican value. Um, this is in the Post Register, which is now my uh, newspaper. This is called This Is Not Personal Responsibility. Okay, and it's a picture of a school event um, at, uh, in which, let's see, I'll, I'll actually just read it. This is personal responsibility, question mark. Take a close look at this picture. And then we scoot down and it says, this is how seriously Eastern Idahoans are taking a once-in-a-century pandemic. More than 433,000 Americans had died of COVID-19 as of Friday morning. Five states, including two that border Idaho, Montana, and Washington, reached seven-day death records on Wednesday, according to the New York Times. The risk for contracting the virus in Bonneville County, which had already seen 134 coronavirus deaths at time this photo was taken Thursday night, is very high. Take a close look at this picture. There are 231 people in this photo. 19 of them are wearing masks correctly. That's 8.2%. Now, masks have become an incredibly uh, politicized, overcharged. This is the picture, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. Let's see if it gets bigger. There we go. Um, this is an um, incredibly politicized topic, and I want to recognize that for a minute. And so I, I, I also want to be clear. I do not believe in judging other people for not wearing masks. I think that is just as unhealthy um, I think we need to be really careful with that too. Just as unhealthy is probably not the words that I want to use, but um, we need to be careful and we need to to think through this stuff carefully. At the same time, I don't think the point of that article, and I don't think the point that I took from the article is that masks are good or bad. I believe they're good. I think the science supports that. I, I don't feel any, uh, any problem saying as much. Um, what I will say is that it used to be a Republican virtue that we held ourselves to, to the high bar. That we didn't want government programs because it's not government's place to judge us, it's our place to judge us, right? That we would listen to the better angels of our nature so that we had less government, right? Um, if all men were angels, they would need no government. And so the Republican party that I seem to remember that only existed in my imagination was, then let's all act like better angels. And that will fix some of these problems. So number one, I think civility is lacking because we've fallen down in that way. Um, 
I, you know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, he said, "Do you, do you think it, it's because people have fallen away from religion?" And I said, "No, I, th- I think it's it's I know too many brilliant, kind, and deeply moral people who have left religion or or um, switch religion or, or or come to a different mind mind uh, or a, a different worldview. I mean, how, however they would want to say it, I I think that's a very simplistic reading." Rather, I think that the general turn away from religion is itself an, an indication that there's something deeper going on, which is that people just don't like doing the right thing, right? Um, and that religion is a place that people turn away from because, oh, well, that's where all those judgy people are that tell me what to do all the time, right? I, I don't think religion equals morality, but I think the turn away from religion is in part driven by people who just don't want to be told what to do anymore. And that, yes, that is a problem. And that is widespread. And that is something that I have seen um, from religious friends who have stayed in churches and and are now just, th- their religion has turned into something else, I guess is how I would say it. Um, and I, I certainly don't exclude people in my own faith. Um, but I think that's that's a part of it. So in, in the broadest sense, yeah, I'm worried about that. Um, and well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about about lies and integrity as, as kind of its own in a minute. Number two, um, I was talking to a friend today about tribalism on Twitter. Um, and I made the point that I was, t- John Cornyn had a, had a great quote. It was a Milton Friedman quote about concentrated power. And I love the quote. And I was like, hey, that's a great quote. But like, you didn't vote against the guy who abused power. Like, I, I hear you. I like the quote, but what were you doing, man? And I wasn't trying to be unkind. I was trying to engage in good faith, but it's like, I don't understand how you can hold these two thoughts in your head at the same time. And uh, my friend pushed me and I, I like that. And he said, you know, how, how are you, how are you sure that this is tribal? And how are you sure that you're not just being tribal? That's a good question. First of all, I am. Everybody's tribal, right? Everybody has their own their own um, biases. I, I feel like um, good thinking is a lot like good science. It's not without limitation. It's that the limitations are up front, right? And I, I know I've got biases and, and problems and, and everything else and tribalism. Um, but in Cornyn's case, my frustration is I feel like if the sides were reversed, if President Obama had been giving a speech and uh, with a rally and those protesters, if we want to call them that, had gone to the Capitol and broke in and and one person had died. Um, I think that would have been grounds for Republicans to impeach him. And to be clear, I'm not saying Republicans are hypocrites. Some of them are. Okay, so are some Democrats. I get it. What I'm saying really is that politics is the worst. It turns regular, normal, thoughtful people into really, really terrible political animals that are more worried about their tribe than anything else. And ironically, again, again, like, is it fungus or is it dry skin? Right? The best thing that I know of that fixes the problem is just to be kind to people, to listen to them, to hear their perspective, to recognize that they're not the enemy if they disagree with you. Right? It feels very much like bunker mentality thinking, well, we, we just got, we got to, we got to win. We got to, we got to beat the Dems. Right? Well, we got to, we got to beat the right wingers, those, those crazy Republicans. Like there's more to life, man. That I think is part of what impressed me about about Representative Kinzinger, is that he said, "Look, I I, I was serving with people who were willing to give their lives. I, I shouldn't. I, I think it's really embarrassing that we. This is a, this is something he said in his video. How dare we talk to people who are willing to give their lives for freedom in this country and not be willing to risk our careers on principle? And I think that's absolutely right." So I think the second thing is basic kindness is the, is the lotion that we're talking about here, right? It, it, it fixes a lot of problems. Listening to people, hearing them, 
right? Getting out of your own bubble and listening to the other side and working with them. I don't think that civility necessarily is the same as moderation, right? I don't think it means centrism, but boy, it's not that hard to be bipartisan, okay? There are a few senators that I dislike more. There, 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 there are a few senators that I dislike more, I, sh I probably shouldn't say that, but I'm gonna say it anyway, than, than Cotton, right? Senator Cotton. I just have a really hard time with them. Um, and there are a few senators that I like more than Mitt Romney. And yet Mitt Romney is working with Tom Cotton. It drives me a little bit crazy because I think the proposal is terrible. They're going to increase the minimum wage and also reduce immigration. I think we should do the opposite on both of those. <laughs> but like, there is at least some merit in the idea that like maybe we should just work with other people that we don't always agree on. And I think Mitt Romney is walking the walk on that. And apparently Tom Cotton is too. I don't think Tom Cotton and Mitt Romney are natural uh, allies on this stuff. I think Mitt Romney is also proposing a really interesting family plan, a uh, plan for families and, and direct funding of families that, re that doesn't increase the deficit and also reduces, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a long story, but it's a really interesting thing. Um, again, just, just acting mature and working with people you disagree with and, and listening and hearing other people. All right, number three, I'm almost done. Y'all have been patient. I don't know why you listen to me, but you do. It, it's not the bow ties because I wasn't wearing them before. This is a good bow tie, though. I like this bow tie. Blue and white. It's a good color. Anyway, number three. Um, there's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it, and I hope I don't offend anybody. Um, there, there's a great quote that I love by Marvin J. Ashton. He was a religious leader in my faith when I was growing up. He, he actually, he died. He's one of the first senior religious leaders I remember dying when I was very, very young. But he was, he was fond of, he, he gave a talk on, on lying. And he said that lying is any statement that is meant to deceive. It's so obvious, but so brilliantly clear, right? So Marvin Ashton says, lying is any statement meant to deceive. And if you go on Twitter, as I've been doing, as I explained for the past couple of months, I, I'm looking for people who are um, telling blatant lies. And it's actually pretty hard to find. But finding people who say things that they don't believe is actually really easy. And that, to me, is far more dangerous. Because there's always plausible deniability. People are smart enough that they don't want to get dunked on on Twitter. So they won't say things that are very obviously untrue. But they will say things that are hard to prove that they just straight up don't believe. It's all over the place. Except what's really scary is, given enough time, they do start to believe it. They repeat it back to themselves over and over and over again. And I think a part of them knows that they, they shouldn't believe it, that it's all junk, it's all narrative, it's all spin, it's all made up. Um, because when you start to call them on it, they get really angry. I am concerned that we are getting to a point as a society where truth-telling is, is resented. Where saying what you believe, um, what, what is obviously true, um, is going to earn you scorn. And I think in some ways we're already there. I, I don't buy into a lot of the cancel culture stuff. I think people should be more accountable, not less accountable. It just should come from inside, as I talked about before. Um, I'm frustrated that everything is about, well, I was treated unfairly and victimization, and I'm, I, it's not my fault. I'm a, I'm a poor, innocent billionaire. Um, they got canceled. And uh, you know that I've been canceled because you won't he stop hearing how much people talk about how I've been canceled um, including me, right? Like, it's just, it's kind of silly. I don't think big tech is out to get us. Like, I, I, I disagree with a lot of that stuff. Here's what I agree with, though. 
there is an increasing and dangerous trend towards conformity of thought and uniformity of thought um, that is really, really frightening. And I don't think it's equal on both sides. I think it's, it's progressing on both sides. It's getting worse on both sides. And it is going in fits and spurts. Um, but I do absolutely believe that there are major, major problems when the narrative becomes stronger than the desire for truth. And that means that's messy. People are going to say dumb stuff, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't be fired for saying offensive things. I'm actually kind of on the other side of the spectrum. I think we need to do a lot more of that. I think we're working out the kinks of a system where people realize I can't say crazy stuff now. And that's good. And we need to figure that out. We need to, and there's going to be people who are too harsh and there are going to be people who are too lenient and we'll get there, right? It's, it's going to take some calibration. It's going to take time. It's probably going to take a decade or two. But I think in 30 years, we're going to look back and go, okay, I think now we know what the norms are about social media usage and what that implies for, for, for somebody. Um, what I don't think we're going to be able to figure out, because I don't think there's an answer to this except just be a better person, um, is the question of what do we do with people who say things that they do not believe to be true? Right? And when you look at anyone on talk radio, and when you look at, and by the way, on both sides of the aisle, um, there is a certain amount of this, right? This is why the personal integrity leads right into this issue of lying because the two are so fundamentally connected. If you hold yourself to the highest possible bar and th th you make a terrible debater, right? There's a, there's a great talk called Instruments of the Lord's Peace by uh, Elder Robert Wood um, of the 70, again, a religious leader from my faith. And he talks about, he, he went on a CNN show, or actually he didn't say CNN. He went on a cable television show and they sat him down and they said, okay, on this show, we encourage you to speak before thinking, <laughs> right? Like what? Right? It makes you less interesting to listen to. And when everybody wants ratings, the best thing that they can do is say, no, no, we're not, we're not here to be interesting. We're here to to say, we're, we're not here to be to be thoughtful. We're here to be interesting. We're here to, to generate buzz. Um, and that's the media's problem. And of course, that's true of politicians too. They need buzz. They need, they need attention. They need uh, uh, clicks. And so they say things that are click-worthy. They say ridiculous and extreme things. And things that they know that are probably a little bit dishonest, but hey, it's okay because. And they justify their way out. And I think the starting place for a politician right now would be the opposite. The starting place for a politician right now would be to say, I'm going to hold myself to the highest possible bar. I am going to let my conscience be my guide. So, in other words, I told you so. If people had only been civil, if people had been kinder, if people had first taken on personal responsibility, second, been kind, and third, promised to actively truth tell and never to defend themselves or justify themselves, and to never, ever, ever say things that they believe are not true. There's, there's a really interesting research finding. This is so interesting to me. Um, <laughs> they, they take a group of kids into a room, and I think it was Pokemon cards. I could be wrong, but I think it was Pokemon cards in the experiment. And they said, here's a Pokemon, and here's a bunch of stuff about this Pokemon. They would tell them a bunch of stats, and you know, sometimes they would do it really high, and sometimes they would do it really low. Here's the interesting thing. Every time they were lying, it was totally fake. Um, this, is, this is kind of related to implicit bias. But afterwards, they would ask the kids about whether this card was good or bad, and the kids could accurately tell what had been a lie and what was true. Um, but if you actually saw which ones the kids would buy, they would still buy the ones that had been talked up. There was an emotional imprint 
from this experience. Okay, so now think about a political ad. They could lie through their teeth. Uh, let me give you, let me give you an, an, an even simpler example. Then we'll get to the political ad. Um, <laughs> I, I love this example. Um, I just read a paper on this. That's why all these examples are coming to my mind. If you put out in front of people orange juice, and then in another container, definitely not poison. <laughs> people don't drink the definitely not poison. <laughs> they drink the orange juice, even though it says definitely not poison. Right? It's there's just some weird association going on. Right? The psychology of that is really interesting. Okay, um, people don't like drinking something that says uh, definitely not poison on it, even though it, you know, it, we see the word poison. And so what do you do if you're a skilled crafter of political ads? The answer is very simple. You say as many negative things about your opponent as you can. And if you can't say something negative, then you say, well, they're definitely not a tax evader, but they're also definitely, you know, they, you just throw out as many. It's all about psychological connections. It's all about associations that you can tie in your head with the other person. As soon as you cross the line against your conscience, that's when I have something to hold against you. That's it. I don't have any problem with somebody actively believing, actually believing that Donald Trump was justified and he did nothing wrong. If you actually believe that, okay, we can, we can have a conversation. What I have a hard time with is when I feel like people are making arguments that they don't actually believe. And I think it happens a lot, right? I don't think it's just a matter of bias. I don't think, um, in particular, I think there are a lot of media figures and now social media figures um, who have figured out the power of these associations. And I think it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Um, fortunately, the antidote is simple. Be kind, hold yourself to a high bar and actively truth tell even if it makes you unpopular. So thank you for listening to me rant. I am going to end this now. I actually have another set of thoughts that I want to talk about. Uh, I, I'm realizing now just how boring today was. It was just me ranting about politics, but that's kind of what I do all the time. So I'm going to just run with it and we'll see if you all seem to, to dig it. Um, next time I want to talk about class warfare and in particular uh, snobbery because there's, there's this very interesting thing about red tribe, blue tribe, that red tribe seems to be uh, in the American consciousness um, lower income, poorer, uh, less well educated, you know, guns and Bibles and, and that, that stereotype. And, and I want to challenge that stereotype. That's part of what I want to get into. Um, Republicans and Democrats always claim that they are the party of the working people. And I'm curious. I think that there are some things we can learn from that investigation. So I will try and do that for next time. Um, but in the meantime, thanks for joining me. Um, and thank you for letting me uh, say my thoughts. Um, reach out, like I said, if you have thoughts or ideas or anything that you, you would want me to cover. And with that, uh, Radical Civility is written, produced, and edited by Ben Piccini. And the, the opinions expressed on Radical Civility do not represent the opinions of my employer, my family, my pets, my spouse, my kids, um, or myself in the future when I am older and wiser. Thank you, everybody. Good night.